here this morning, you can grab a Bible and begin to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is where we will begin our time this morning. So if you've been with us over the last uh, six months or so, you know that every time I've preached, um, I'm going through a series called Crossing Culture, and we're addressing things that are prevalent in our culture, issues that need to be talked about from a biblical perspective and addressed with a biblical worldview. And um, we've touched on things like homosexuality and religious liberty, um, transgender issues, many other things. And you can go on the website and look those up if you haven't been here for those and you'd like to hear um, what the Bible has to say about those issues. You can can go there and find those. Um, This morning, we're going to be addressing something that is... uh, a little difficult to to address and and to kind of pin down. Um, It's very broad. Um, It infects even probably your life and you don't even realize it. Um, But oftentimes, if you're kind of on the conservative evangelical side of Christianity, um, this gets addressed in jest. We joke about prosperity preachers as they're often called and televangelists and, and things like that. Or, if you're like me, you get really angry. (laughs) And so, this morning, I would ask that you pray as um, we go through this, that I would be gracious, but this is a serious topic that we're discussing. What you just saw on the screen was uh, the wife of Joel Osteen, who is a pastor at Lakewood Church in Houston. Many of you have probably heard of his ministry, seen things that he's done, and you've probably even seen um, Victoria, his wife, as well. Um, this clip, if you're on Facebook, has been floating around everywhere this week. In fact, there is a, another video clip with the great Bill Cosby tagged on at the end. And right after that finishes, he stands up and says, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Right? And so that was actually a clip from the Cosby show from the 80s, if you remember that. But he kind of sums it up well. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You don't obey God for God. You obey God to make yourself happy. You don't worship God for God. You worship God to make yourself happy. Because God finds the greatest pleasure and the greatest joy when you are happy. Sadly, it's not a shock for most people to hear those words from Victoria Osteen. This is the gospel that the Osteens have been preaching and selling for years. However, this, I think, was the most explicitly I've ever heard them state what they believe. And I think that's why this video clip was spreading like wildfire across the internet because... They've never said it and couched it in those terms. This was borderline, if not all the way, blasphemy. Essentially, she is saying your life is not about God or his glory. It is about you and your happiness. Some of us in this room are disgusted by comments like these. 
some of you may be wondering, well, what's wrong with what she said? But most of us, in some small way, actually believe what she said. This morning, I want to talk to you about the prosperity gospel, as it's been termed. What is the prosperity gospel? Many of you, if you've been around church life for very long, you've heard the term used. The prosperity gospel, the health and wealth, the name it, claim it gospel. Dave Jones of Nine Marks Ministries says it like this. This gospel has been ascribed many names, such as name it, claim it gospel, the blab it and grab it gospel, the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, and positive confession theology. No matter what name is used, the essence of this new gospel is the same. Simply put, this egocentric prosperity gospel teaches that God wants believers to be physically healthy, materially wealthy, and personally happy. The words of Robert Tilton, one of the prosperity gospel's best known spokesmen, said this, I believe that it is the will of God for all to prosper because I see it in the word, not because it has worked mightily for someone else. I do not put my eyes on men, but on God who gives me the power to get wealth. Teachers of the prosperity gospel encourage their followers to pray for and even demand material flourishing from God. So why do we need to talk about this this morning? If you're like me, you say, well, of course we don't believe that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I don't buy that. So why do we need to address it? Here's why we need to address it. This gospel is being spread from the United States of America all across the world to people who've never heard the word of God preached before. And when they do hear it, they hear this garbage. And that's the nicest way I can put it. But if, if we're going to talk about it, we first need to know some things about the prosperity gospel. If we're going to be able to combat the prosperity gospel, we need to first understand where does it come from? Robert Tilton just said he doesn't get it from somebody else. He sees this in the word of God. So does the word of God teach this prosperity gospel that people are spreading? Where did it come from? Where did it originate? And for the answer, we're going to turn and look to Romans 1, beginning in verse 22. When you're there, say, uh-huh. All right. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their body among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is where the prosperity gospel begins. When man decides, I will worship creature, creation over the one who created it. The prosperity gospel is, in its simplest form, idolatry. We are chasing after the things that God has given us rather than chasing after God himself. Now, if you've ever turned the television over to the Trinity Broadcasting Network, 
or TBN then like me you probably yell at the TV throw the remote control whatever but you've heard them quoting scripture and you might say to yourself where are those scriptures coming from because the scriptures they use seem to say that God wants his children to be materially wealthy physically healthy and personally happy Essentially where all of this teaching comes from is a wrong interpretation of scripture. A bad hermeneutic. And it's mostly drawn from the Abrahamic covenant. This is the primary, primary material that's used by prosperity preachers to spread this lie. Prosperity preachers like to focus on the material fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and make the claim that because we are Abraham's children and therefore children of the promise that we are guaranteed material blessings and prosperity. It's a misunderstanding of the covenant. However, we are children of Abraham by faith. We follow Abraham by faith and therefore we are heirs of the promise of faith which is not land, seed, and blessing which he was giving to the children of Israel but namely we are heirs of Jesus Christ. By faith we get Christ. And to focus on the material blessings of the Abrahamic covenant is to miss the point. Jesus is better than all of that. Jesus is better. Prosperity teachers, they use Galatians 3.14 to make their claim. It says this, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And they stop there. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. They stop there and they say, if you are in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham have come to you. You should claim those blessings as your own. They belong to you. But the second half of the verse totally negates the whole point. They ignore it. It says this, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. The promise of of the covenant of faith is that you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive Jesus Christ. These are two places that this prosperity gospel come from, comes from. It starts in our hearts, which John Calvin said are idol-making factories. We just produce idols to worship. And it's been carried out with bad hermeneutics and wrong interpretation of scripture if we're going to address this issue we, we not only need to know where it comes from we need to know who's teaching it and this is where it gets touchy right because there's a lot of disagreement on whether we should name names when we're talking about something like this or whether we should keep quiet and show grace and and, and not name names, but in the age of digital media and television and, and all that we have and all that we are exposed to during the week, I think it's important that we begin to name names. Not for the purpose of just 
berating these people because it is my prayer that they would see that what they teach is a lie and it's not the gospel and that they would come to Jesus Christ in faith and want Jesus and Jesus alone. That's my prayer. It should be all of our prayer. But in the meantime, it is my responsibility as one of the pastors of this church to protect the people in this church from bad teaching. And if there are young believers in here who are not grounded... They may turn on TBN and listen to something and think, man, those people really love Jesus and what they're saying sounds pretty great. So maybe I should buy their books and watch their programs and sow seeds into their ministry. So who are these teachers? Robert Tilton, we've already mentioned him. He's kind of been cast aside now as the um, stepchild of this movement because he is... Uh, He's been investigated multiple times and um, been found to be a fraud. But he actually said, and I quote, being poor is a sin. How does that gospel work in Africa? How does that gospel work in inner city Houston? How does that gospel translate to third world countries all around the world? Just walk in and tell people that being poor is a sin. Another teacher, husband and wife, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. These two people lead this movement in America, mostly. Most of the other names I'm going to mention later have gained their teaching from this couple. And this is a quote from their website, from an article that they posted just a couple of weeks ago. Physical prosperity is twofold. Health and wealth, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Sickness, poverty, and death. Health and wealth belong to the believer. Meditation on the word and acting on the word will bring results. And they quote Joshua 1.8. When you act on the word, mix your faith with it and do not doubt in your heart. The word will work for you. What produces spiritual, mental, and physical prosperity? What brings all these areas together? The Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word is alive, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When you are walking in the Word of God, you will prosper and be in health. We cannot settle for prosperity in the physical and mental realm only, just as we cannot settle for spiritual prosperity alone. We can't afford to be lazy and to discount physical and mental prosperity simply because we are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Simply because we are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's will for us to be made whole, spirit, soul, and body, and to be kept that way until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you walk in the light of God's word, you will become prosperous in every area of your life. It's kind of garbage these people are peddling. You are simply filled with the spirit. Oh, you mean we have the eternal, holy, righteous God inside of us? living out his righteousness in us and that's just a simple fact about salvation but we need to move on to gaining all the possessions here that we can okay 
Number three, Paul and Jan Crouch. If you've ever watched TBN, you have seen a lady that has hair like cotton candy and a face that melts when she cries. They are the founders of TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. In a good year, TBN takes in approximately 100 million tax-exempt dollars. They own multiple homes and private jets paid for by the television company so that they can honestly say they have very little of their own assets. They have made their children to be employees of the network and have ordained most of their children so they can purchase homes and call them parsonages. Paul and Jan spent a lot of time propping up the prosperity gospel. If you turn on the TVN network any time during the week, you're going to hear somebody asking for you to sow seeds into their ministry so that God can multiply the money that you give to their ministry. Meanwhile, these people have six personal jets that they fly around the country in and have homes that span all over the continental U.S. Another teacher is Paula White. This is from her website. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. She quotes Psalm thirty-five twenty-seven. And then she says, Do you believe that God wants you to live in the abundance of the overflow of his goodness, his mercy, and his provision? King David declared that God takes pleasure in you prospering. God is not magnified when you are broke, busted, or disgusted. God is not glorified when you have a dream, but no resources to fulfill the dream and the desire of your heart. I would argue that many times God is most glorified when you are broke, busted, and disgusted. It's then that you've got nothing else to rely on but Jesus alone. Tell Job that God is not magnified when you're broke, busted, or disgusted. There's a Christian rapper, Shy Lin is his name, and he had a song come out uh, just a few months back called False Teachers, in which he calls out all of these people by name. And one of those people was Paula White, and he got into an exchange on the internet with her son, who was trying to defend her ministry and asking him why he didn't go to her in private. And Shailen essentially explained, because her ministry isn't private. The sin that I believe she is guilty of is a very public one that is leading people astray. And so I'm going to call her out publicly. That's what we're doing this morning. The fifth one is Creflo Dollar. It's one of my professors like to call him Cashflow Dollar. He said this, Friend, it is not God's will for you to live in poverty and experience shortage all the days of your life. It is also not God's will for his agenda of promoting the gospel throughout the earth to be hindered because Christians are low on cash. However, none of this is going to change until we realize that as believers, we must sow, give, and plant. 
It's time to take authority over our finances, not be ruled and dominated by lack. To make this happen, we must operate according to the rules that govern a harvest, the laws concerning giving and receiving. Of course, he closes with an invitation to give to his ministry and to sow into his ministry. See, the only people getting rich off the prosperity gospel are the preachers and the peddlers of this. Why should we care? Why should we care? We mentioned it a second ago. First of all, we should care because this is not the gospel. Though we refer to it as the prosperity gospel, this is not the gospel. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To anyone living at the time of Jesus, hearing Jesus say, take up your cross, they immediately understood that following Christ meant death. It meant one of the most horrific kinds of death. Death on a cross. Jesus didn't say, follow me and I'm going to make you healthy and wealthy and happy. You're going to love your life when you follow me. No, Jesus said, take up the execution device that the Romans are using and follow me because they're probably going to put you on it when you choose to follow me. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Doesn't sound like prosperity theology to me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes, even his own life he cannot be my disciple. All of these are, are sayings of, of Jesus. He, he's saying, if you don't hate your family, if you don't even hate your own life, you, you can't follow me. So therefore, Luke 14, 33, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He told the rich young ruler, go sell all that you have and then you can come follow me seems to be very different from what the prosperity preachers are peddling. The gospel requires us to die to self, to die to the things of this world. Not only is it not the gospel, it is a direct assault on the sovereignty of God, his rule over our lives, and it puts him in our debt. If you listen to many of these prosperity preachers, they will say that you have not because you have not told God that that's what you want. You don't have wealth because you haven't told God you want wealth. As if God is a Santa Claus in the sky and he owes us something and we should tell him what we want and he is in our debt and must grant it. It's an attack and it's an assault on the sovereignty of God. 
It teaches and it encourages idolatry as we've seen in Romans 1, 22. It's encouraging men to worship what they have here in the form of health, wealth, and happiness rather than to worship the one true living God. It teaches people to use God as a means to an end. In the, prosperity in the prosperity gospel, people are not striving to get God. They're striving to get stuff, and they're using God as a means to get their stuff. They really worship money, wealth, and, or health, and happiness. Using God as a means to an end. Fourthly, it preys on the poor and the vulnerable. The same people that casinos prey on, the prosperity preachers also get rich off the poorest and most vulnerable in our society. You having a problem making your rent this month? Oh dear Christian, if you sow a thousand dollars into my ministry, God is going to return it to you tenfold. You'll never have financial woes again. And there is some elderly lady sitting at home with a fixed income listening to these people spew this garbage and she says, "I he's a man of God. He's teaching from the Bible." And he said all I have to do is give him this and I don't have to worry about my finances anymore my cancer will be healed I may be able to walk again I just haven't put enough faith in God to do it and they pour out everything that they have into these people who are simply using them to get more and more for themselves. This gospel preys on people who are poor and vulnerable and the Bible tells us that we should be lowering ourselves to serve these people who are the most poor and vulnerable. We shouldn't be asking them for things but rather we should be pouring out to help them. Fifth, it hinders the spread of the true gospel. If you know a missionary or pastor on the continent of Africa, you know what a problem the prosperity gospel is. It is hindering the advance of the true gospel in Africa because these men are going into villages, pulling up in their Mercedes, telling these poor villagers who don't even have running water that they too can drive this kind of car. They too can wear this kind of suit if they would just come follow God. It's a man-centered, self-centered lie that's drawing thousands on thousands of people astray, if not millions of people. Lastly, why should we care? Because we are called to combat false teaching and false 
teachers. Turn with me to Jude 1. Jude 1. It's right before Revelation. It's like one page. We get in verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, I urge you, brothers, to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We are called to contend for the faith and combat false teaching and false teachers. Now many of you to this point are probably agreeing with me. We've got amens going. We're thinking that's right. Those guys are wrong. We're right to call them out and call out their theology. But if, if we're going to use Romans 1 as our starting point, when we begin to talk about the prosperity gospel, if we agree that any type of worship of creature over creator is idolatrous, we must recognize that we too have our own prosperity gospel. This is what David Schrock of Nine Marks calls the softer prosperity gospel. It may not be so blatant as to say that God wants you materially wealthy, physically healthy, and personally happy. But nevertheless, it is the prosperity gospel. Schrock writes this, While evangelicals have traditionally decried the prosperity gospel in its hard form, there's a softer form of this teaching that is all too common among us. Often undetected by Bible-believing Christians, it assumes the gospel... Yeah, it assumes the gospel and leads its adherents to focus on things like financial planning, diet and exercise, and strategies for self-improvement. In contrast to the hard prosperity gospel, which offers miraculous and immediate health and wealth, this softer, subtler variety challenges believers to break through to the blessed life by means of the latest pastor-prescribed techniques. We have our own prosperity gospel that we may believe and we may even teach. So what does that look like among even conservative evangelicals? Well, we emphasize the blessings of God over the blessed God. We emphasize the blessings of God over the blessed God. Now, what I'm about to say to many of you might be offensive. I don't mean it to be. I want us to think together through the things that we say, the way we act, and really examine our own hearts and see, do we believe a prosperity gospel? Have we bought in to the middle class American gospel? For instance, do we talk about heaven and how great it's going to be more than we talk about 
how great Jesus Christ is. This was a problem in the 50s after World War II. If you opened up a hymnal, there are lots of songs about heaven. When we all get to heaven, when the roll is called up yonder, in the sweet by and by, and on and on the list goes. I'll fly away. All of these songs, there's nothing inherently evil about the songs. But what we find ourselves doing was Worshipping the place that Christ had gone to prepare rather than worshipping Christ himself. Do we want God or do we want his stuff? Focus on rewards. Well, I'm going to live this way so that Christ rewards me in the end. Is Christ not enough? Peace. You know, I try to follow the word of God because I want peace in my heart, in my soul. Do we worship peace over God? Maybe it's emotional experiences. Emotional experiences of which I will say I have been guilty. I go to church, I worship God because I really love the way that high feels when we're all singing together. I get chill bumps. There's an emotional high when I worship with other believers. So I go to church camp and on Thursday night everybody's crying and everybody's rededicated their life to Jesus five times and we're feeling good about ourselves and then we go on and live our life like normal. But we can't wait for camp next year because we're going to feel that high again. Well, what about in between Sundays? Man, the songs, the music, the preaching, it was all so good. I'm high on Jesus. Man, I can't wait till next week to get that again. And then maybe next week you don't get it. And Jesus becomes a little less appealing. And then another week goes by and, and you're just not feeling it. And slowly you drift away and you decide, well, I don't really need the church. I'm not getting anything from it. Listen, this is prosperity gospel. At its core, that's what it is. We're worshiping God for an experience, for rewards, for what we get. We're not worshiping him for who he is. This gospel emphasizes self-help techniques coded in gospel language, emphasizing good works that earn favor with God. Do this and God will be happy with you. Do this, God will be angry with you. It's a prosperity gospel. A belief that sin brings God's punishment and good works bring God's favor. Listen to me, if you are in Christ... Christ has satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. There is no more to be poured out on you. It's all been placed on Jesus Christ. It is a lie to say that when you sin, God is going to punish you. Punishment and discipline are two very different things. We read that in scripture. God disciplines those he loves, right? Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is for our good. You discipline your children for their good. You 
correct them. You turn them into a different way for their good. It's not punishment that we get if we are in Christ. Or that good works bring God's favor. Man, I'm checking off the boxes this week. I've read my Bible every day. I've spent time in prayer every day. I've been to three Bible studies, four coffee meetings. Man, I've got it going on this week. Jesus must be proud of me. I'm feeling God's favor. No, no, no. You get God's favor because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Not anything that you did. Your righteousness is filthy rags before holy God. The only thing God is satisfied with is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to you by grace. And just in case that doesn't settle it, Ephesians 2.10 says any good stuff that you do do wasn't yours anyway. It was prepared for you beforehand that you could walk in good works. So the question is, do, do we believe the prosperity gospel? Do we have some form of this working in our lives, in our hearts, in our parenting, in our discipling other people? Have we started to teach parts of the prosperity gospel Does our worship terminate on Christ or on what he gives? So how do we combat this? If we recognize, yeah, we we do have some prosperity theology rooted in us in some way. And of course we do. Romans 1 says we do. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. We worship and serve the creature over the creator. We all have tendencies toward this. So how do we combat it? First of all, we don't preach prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel isn't heresy simply because they talk about money. The lie is that more money is what God wants for you more than himself. We don't preach, I'm sorry, not prosperity gospel. We don't preach a poverty gospel. A poverty gospel. See, here's, here's the tendency. Prosperity gospel is a lie, so we should all be poor. God doesn't want us to have more money, so we should all live on the street. That, no, that's not the truth either. Prosperity gospel isn't, simply, isn't heresy just because they talk about money. The lie is that more money is what God wants for you, more than he wants himself for you. God doesn't command us to live in poverty. If he did, we would all in this room be in sin. Nor does the Bible teach that money is evil. It teaches that the love of money is evil. Why? Because it places creation over creator. You love your money, you worship your money, then it's evil. Money in and of itself is not evil. Bible teaches that a worker is worthy of his wages. Teaches that we should work as to the Lord. When we do this, 
There may be financial blessings that follow. If you are a hard worker, you work hard in your company, you may get promotions, you may get a bigger salary, and there's nothing sinful about that unless you are doing it for the bigger salary and not because you see your work as worship to God. But if you are working for God to worship God... And you get a promotion. Here's what I have to say to you. More money is not a bad thing. As long as you're living an open-handed life. And you're willing to freely give that money where God is calling you to give it. Second, we should speak the truth in love. We don't preach a poverty gospel. Money is not evil. Only when your worship terminates on what God has given is it sin. Second, we should speak the truth in love. We should speak the truth in love. Identify prosperity theology where it exists and call it out for what it is. Not because we like to berate people, not because we like to put people down and belittle them, but because we want what God wants for them, and that is Christ and Christ alone. We want people to see and savor Jesus Christ not what he gives. We lovingly correct brothers and sisters who may be captive to this teaching. Maybe you know someone who is a brother and sister in Christ, but they've started following some of these teachers that we may have mentioned this morning. That they, You see that in their life. Man, I'm, I'm going to call on God and he's going to remove this sickness from my body. I'm just going to keep claiming that I don't have a fever and my fever is going to go away. I'm not going to believe that I have cancer and God's going to heal me of this cancer. No, we lovingly correct these people and help them to see the sovereign purposes of God, even in our suffering, are to make us more like Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Because here's what we try to do in American evangelical Christianity. Here's here's what we do. We try to make God palatable to people. Try to make it attractive. Oh, you you have problems paying your mortgage? Man, Christ. You should come to Christ. You're struggling in this area of your life? Come to Jesus. It'll all be better. You got a porn problem? Put your trust in Jesus. Porn problem will go away. Problem is, that's a lie. You still have a sin nature to fight against. Yes, you'll be given new tools to fight. You'll have the Holy Spirit in you. But if you're telling people that, hey, come to Jesus and your your sins, they'll be solved. It, It won't be a problem for you anymore. You're selling them a lie. Don't sugarcoat the gospel by giving people the impression that coming to Christ is going to make their life better or somehow that they will find fulfillment or happiness. That's not the case. How can a person count it all joy in trials if they've been sold the lie that Christianity means an easier road? Consider it all joy, brothers, when various trials come upon you. How are you going to do that when whoever 
introduce the gospel to you. Whoever is discipling you says that the gospel means an easier life. That coming to Christ means an easier life. Because they never wanted Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could give them. And if in that moment they thought Jesus was going to give them an easier life, an easier road, then when the road doesn't get easy, guess what? I don't need Jesus anymore. Jesus himself said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. You want to follow me? Hate your family. Hate your own life. Then maybe we can talk. Are we preaching a different gospel than Jesus himself preached? Are we sugarcoating it and trying to make it palatable and easy for people to do? Or are we telling them what it means that you will lay your life down for the sake of Christ? Finally, most importantly, we preach the gospel. We preach the true gospel. That you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you loved it. You wallowed in your own filth. You worshipped and served the creation over the creator But God, in his great mercy and love for you, sent his perfect, holy, righteous son to die the death that you deserve. Raised him up three days later. By trusting in him, you can have life eternal with God. You can know your creator. You can serve your creator. And you will be able to sit at his feet for all eternity and worship your creator. This is what people need to hear when they've been told they have a month to live at 35 years old. See, the prosperity gospel gives those people no hope. None. Because they will sit in that hospital bed and claim physical health till the day that they breathe their last. And their family will say, where was God? Why didn't God heal him? I saw his faith. He believed it. God didn't heal him. And then his family walks away. I don't need that God. No, no, they don't need that God. And that's not the God that the Bible speaks of. We speak of a sovereign God. It's holy and righteous and who loved us enough not to just wipe us out and start over, but to come in flesh and to redeem us and make us right. And all the suffering and all the pain that we may go through on earth is just to make us more like Christ, to make us more like the one we follow and we love. It's only in this gospel that people can find hope and true joy and everlasting peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing the tinges and the 
the tentacles of the prosperity gospel that have made um, their way into our own hearts and our own lives.